In preparation for the message this morning, Pastor Matt has asked that we read from Romans chapter 11, verses 34, through chapter 12, verse 2. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? And who has ever given to God that he should be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you, you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. If I were to ask you, what are your core values? Have you ever taken time to maybe write down what are governing principles or thoughts or ideas or beliefs that are essential to you moving forward? I think if we would examine these in light of our personal lives and and in a larger context of our church, they'd be very similar. And that's what we've been talking a little bit about the last few weeks. And we begin in Acts chapter 2. And this, this passage of Scripture, and we'll get back to Romans here in a minute, but is really a description of what is taking place in the early church. And it's not so much prescriptive, in other words, telling us what to do, but it is describing exactly what is happening in the church. And the last couple of weeks, we've talked about what was really key for this church was that they were constantly praising God. This was a core value to them. In other words, we would say to glorify God. God is glorious, and our response to Him is to acknowledge His glory. And this should be a principle in my life personally and as a church we would say the same, that everything we do should be pleasing to God. So if it's what I'm watching, what I'm listening to, what I'm doing, an activity that I'm planning, everything should follow that standard. The standard of this, to glorify God, to bring praise to His name, to honor Him in my life. The second one that we talked about is that we're part of a family. Not only are we when we come to Christ, related to God and have a relationship with God, but we're re- related to one another, and God expects us to function in community. The third that I'd like to speak about this morning is that God intends for us as believers to grow, and we as a church to grow. If you look at Acts chapter 2, and Beginning with verse 41, it says, Those who accepted the message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. Can you imagine going from about 120 to 3,000? That would have been a logistic nightmare. (laughs) And it really doesn't tell us how they processed all that, but there was a genuine moving of God, and the church began to grow. And it grew at an incredible rate. It said that they continued steadfastly. 
These words that we read in verse 42, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They committed themselves to these core things, to growth. And God was causing the church to grow. All through the book of Acts, you see this growth taking place. And one of the distinct characteristics should be of your life personally and of my life and as a group is that we should be growing in our faith. They continued steadfastly. So this morning, what I'd like to do is talk a little bit about what is growth? What is growing in my faith? What does it look like? I think if I were best to describe it, it would be this way, that when you come to Jesus Christ in salvation, it is at a point in time. It's like the Bible says, being born, being born of the Spirit. The Bible makes reference to this in John chapter 3, being born again. Just like your physical birth, there was a date and there was a time, there was a birth certificate. When we come to salvation, there comes a point in time where I recognize that I'm in need, I'm a sinner. I can't save myself, and I trust in Jesus Christ alone for eternal life. I put my faith and trust in Jesus for eternal life. The Bible uses this language, being born from above, being born by the Spirit, being born again. That happens at a point in time. But growth is different in that that is a continuing process. While salvation is a point in time, and I instantly become God's child. I instantly have my sins washed away. I instantly am adopted into his family. I instantly have his spirit in my life in a moment. But God's intent is from that point for you to grow. And the growth process described in in the scriptures begins at salvation, that point in time, and continues with all of its ups and downs through your life until the time that Jesus comes again for us and receives us up into heaven. And that is called growth, Christian growth. And it's different. Now, if I were to ask, is that church growing? Or is that person growing? We tend to quantify that. Like we'd say, well, how many people came? Or how big was your offering? Or how many were your building seat? Or we might say, how many chapters of the Bible did you read today? We like working with numbers. <laughs> but numbers don't tell you everything. In fact, you could have a thousand of whatever. <laughs> it doesn't really mean that it's something that's pleasing to God. God is talking not so much about the quantity or the number that we measure but the quality of relationship. And it's a little bit more difficult to measure these things. For example, how do you tell if God's blessing is on a person? Count something they do, how many times you read the Bible, how many times you went to church, how many times you sinned? (laughs) Or do we recognize a Christian by the evidence that flows out of their life And the the scripture tells us what it should be is love, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, these types of things. And I think that we typically, we, we like to assign a number, we like to keep stats and measure success in that way. 
But God is looking for a quality of relationship. And one of, the, one of the things that God wants for you as a Christian is for you to grow and to be growing. And he wants this church to grow. And I'm not saying so much that we need to have 10 more people here, even though a number does represent a person, and I, and I recognize that. But, but just assigning a number doesn't mean there is real, lasting spiritual growth. The way this process works of growth is from the inside out. So I'd say we're an inside-out church. We should be an inside-out church. God works in the heart and changes the heart, and the result is that everything on the outside life is changed. We call that transformation. It's different than me changing all the externals on the outside and hoping that by doing all of these things, God's going to change me on the inside. That's called conformity. And it's much easier to conform and to measure numbers than it is to be transformed by the renewing of the Holy Spirit. So why should I care about this? And I think this, it's important that we understand that God created you to be constantly changed to be like Christ. So when we go back to the point that I receive Christ as my Savior, all the way to the point that He takes me up into heaven, God is working a process to make me look less and less like my old self and more and more like Jesus Christ. That is what He is wanting to do. And that is the, the purpose for which He has, has created me, for that relationship. It's one that pleases God. And it brings me the greatest sense of fulfillment and joy when I have that right relationship with him. You may have heard the story of the writing of the, probably the most famous hymn of all time, Amazing Grace. It was written by a man by the name of John Newton. When he was six years old, his mother, godly mother, passed away of tuberculosis. His father was at sea constantly, and so at six years of age, he starts to be passed around to various relatives until he's 11, and when he's 11, he goes to sea and works on the ship with his father. His whole life was one of sinfulness and, and debauchery, and it, it just seemed to spiral down. He got involved in slave trading, and, and it seemed like it, it was a hopeless life. But there was a point in time where he heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and became, and became a Christian. He was saved. Now, in a moment, he became God's child. But he continued for several years to trade slaves. You think, how could a person not see that? Well, there are a lot of things we don't see. So when you become a Christian, you don't instantly, everything's straightened out for you. It's a process of growth, and it lasts a lifetime. And God is at work all the way to the end. Later on, he ended up uh, quitting the slave trading, actually was working with William Wilberforce to put an end to that. And you see, his whole life be became a testimony of grace. So there's grace that saves you. And there's also grace that causes you to grow and to change constantly. So what I'd like to talk a little bit about this morning is how does that take place? How do I really grow in my faith? And how does this church, when I speak individually to you and collectively as a church, how does that take place? 
So this last week, as typical, I'll take out, I've got a yellow pad, and I just take out all kinds of notes. I'll, I'll be going through the text, going through the commentaries, going through the languages, got pages and pages of notes. And um, so the other day, I said, Diane, come on out here to the back porch, because that's my favorite place to study in the, in the summer. And uh, fortunately, uh, God's blessed me with a wonderful wife who's a theologian, <laughs> And, uh, but, but she also helps me get it practical. Because she, she always asks me, yeah, but so what? <laughs> That's a good question. Yeah, but so what? It's got to be practical. But we were having this conversation about what, what really helps us grow. And we could probably list a thousand things that would be helpful. But I, but I asked her, I said, what is absolutely indispensable? What, what is, if, if you don't have this, you cannot grow. You cannot grow. In other words, you become, and I, and I feel there are a lot of people like this. They put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and that's it. It's like their ticket's been punched, I'm going to heaven. But this is just the beginning of God working to change your life. I don't want to change. <laughs> Most of us don't like change. Change means pain. I don't like pain. But this is God's will for you. As a believer, God wants to change you from what you're like today, no matter where you are in this process, to be more and more like Jesus Christ. And in that way, He is glorified and pleased. The world gets a pure and clear representation what God's like when they see you. And it gives you the greatest sense of joy and fulfillment and completion. Because if you stand here and don't grow, you're going to be one miserable person. God's intent is for you to go from this place of the new birth to continue to grow and change every day. And you know, you never get, I used to, I wouldn't say this, but I had this in my mind, that I'd get to the point where I could kind of coast, kind of like, you know, I went to school, learned how to grow, learned how to be a good Christian. I'm good. <clears throat> and I'm thinking, sometimes it's harder later than it was earlier. And sometimes I think, I thought I already learned that lesson. Well, apparently not. <laughs> I'm learning it again. And God is constantly working at my life to change me, to strip away the, the old ways and the old way of thinking and make me more and more like Jesus Christ because God is pleased when we look like His Son. And, and the world can see what God is like when they see a Christian walking with Him. And I find that that, that peace and the joy of seeing Him at work in my life, there's nothing like it. And so... We had this conversation, and uh, I was blessed by it because I was thinking, what, what is it that you have to have? So what I'm going to do this morning is give you a few of these. And, and wherever you are in your Christian life, if you're not a Christian, you've never come to faith, I just want to follow with me on this. Some of you may be stuck. You know, there have been times in your life where you've grown. You know, you had these places where, you know, I was really growing, and God is working in my life, changing my life, and I'm kind of stuck. I'm kind of stagnant. And for those of you that got your life in order, this would just be a reminder. But I, I, I find for me, I need these reminders of what is absolutely essential for me to grow. I shared with you last week, the first thing I pray every morning is, God, help me to become the man you created me to be. I pray that. Help me 
to become the man you created me to be. And I also pray, when I pray for you, that's how I pray for you. And they say, I don't want you to pray that way. (laughs) I don't want to change. I pray for this church. More and more, for me, it matters when God looks down at Valley Community Church as you as an individual and, and together as a group that God is pleased with what he sees. That's really all that matters. It doesn't matter if we're second, setting records, if we're written up in the paper, that people say, wow, something must be happening there. If God is not pleased, it's not good. So I pray this, that this church won't, won't become what I want it to be, but become what God would have it to be in every way. So what is indispensable for you to grow and for Valley to grow? First of all, the necessity of the Holy Spirit. You cannot grow without the presence and the working of the Holy Spirit of God. You cannot grow. When a person becomes a Christian, let's kind of go back to this point, the point in time, Lord, I'm a sinner. I know I've sinned. I can't save myself. There's nothing I can do to get to heaven. I trust in Jesus alone. Not the church, not offering, not, not being a member. I trust in Jesus alone for eternal life, I believe. Instantly, I become a Christian. And, and something else happens. The Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, takes up residence in my life permanently. He, he's in my life. Now, the Holy Spirit is not just God's presence that is with you continually. He opens your eyes to understand. He gives you discernment. He convicts you about wrongful things. He directs your step. He comforts you. He encourages you. He helps you. He is your friend. I have God abiding with me in this whole process of growth. You cannot grow without the Holy Spirit. It's like this. You can't grow if you're not born. (laughs) When I'm born again, Jesus said this to Nicodemus, who in John chapter 3 was a, a, a very well-studied religious leader. He came to Jesus asking him questions, and, and Jesus said to this religious leader, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. You got to be born again. And, and so Nicodemus is puzzled by this. How can a man be born a second time? How can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And, Je- and Jesus says to him, are you a teacher in Israel, and you don't understand these things? Just as you were physically born, you need to be spiritually born. That's what he means by being born again. You must be born again. And I think there are a lot of people that are sitting in our churches that have never really dealt with that. Well, I think I became a Christian a while ago. I think I... You can't grow. You can't grow if the Holy Spirit isn't there. Because there is no life. And there can be no growth if there is no life. And, of course, I share that often. And some, ch- some churches, that's all they will talk about. And I don't want to press it beyond what we should with every person. But, but each of us should be sure of this fact because it could de- lead to a great deal of frustration of not being able to grow, not being able to develop, not God not changing my life because there's never been birth, the genuine birth. The Holy Spirit takes up residence. In 1 Corinthians 2, uh, Paul says the natural man doesn't understand the things of God. They're foolishness to him. He can't know them. They're spiritually discerned. 
Without the Holy Spirit, nothing will make sense to you. You are called into a relationship that is with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells in you and carries you through that growing relationship. So you cannot grow apart from the Holy Spirit. Secondly, the necessity of prayer. You cannot grow without prayer. What is prayer? I could give you one of those real theological definitions of prayer, maybe a long... I would say this, prayer is crying out to God. (laughs) It's crying out to God. Well, I think I can do better than that. Sometimes I can't. It it would include your very articulate, well-formed, thought-out prayers. And it would also include help. Help. Prayer is the heart cry to God. And God, if you're a believer, he hears that. And answer to prayer is when God responds to that. And that's how we grow. When I'm going along the way, I start this journey as a new believer. I encounter all kinds of things. I'm I'm constantly crying out to God in prayer for his help. I cry out in praise and thanksgiving. I cry out in confession. I sometimes cry out in complaint. Anyone here ever do that? Or Lord, what's that all about? That's my heart cry to God. And when God hears and responds to that and begins to work in response to that prayer, he works in me, he works around me, he works through me, he works in every way. And I grow through that. To me, one of the most amazing evidences of the authenticity of Christianity is God answering prayer. And he delights in answering prayer. He says that. He doesn't hold back. He, he, the only time he would hold back would be if it's not good for you. It's not helpful for you. But even more than a loving parent or grandparent, he wants to respond. Your heart cry to God to answer. In, in Hebrews chapter 4 it says, Therefore let us approach the throne of grace with boldness. And the reason we can approach God's throne with boldness is because the shed blood of Jesus has made that possible. And I can talk to him and ask of him. And all of this brings me back to not what we'd say quantifying this, but qualifying it by a deeper relationship with him. Prayer is designed for me to speak to God and God to be able to respond to me. We cannot grow without prayer. Third, the necessity of God's Word, the Scriptures. You cannot grow apart from being engaged in God's Word. God has spoken to us. He has made that clear through His Word. What it says here in Acts chapter 2 is that they continued steadfastly or they were devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Well, what were the apostles' teaching? The apostles were the sent ones, Christ's sent ones, The apostles were speaking the truth of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and all of the Christian life. They were putting this Christ in context with all of the Old Testament. They were teaching the people on a regular basis, and these words came. God has given us His Word. The Bible says all Scripture is inspired of God or breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness. 
so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So God's Word, what, what He gives to us, and we've, we've shared this before, but first of all, it's true. It, it is true. And I can trust what He says. Secondly, it's relevant. It says that you might be completely equipped. One thing about the Bible being an eternal book is that it's not bound by a certain set of events or a certain time period, but an eternal book transcends all of time. And while it was written by someone many years ago, is as up-to-date and relevant today as it was then. And it is helpful. He says, profitable and useful for everything. You see, this is like food and water. You need food and water to grow. And you need these things on a regular basis. You can't, you can't just be spoon-fed. You say, well, I get my fix on Sunday. Well, what if you only ate on Sunday? <laughs> Physically, it'd be kind of rough, wouldn't it? God expects us to develop that habit of being in His Word. In Romans 12, 1 and 2 that we've been, been looking at, it says we, we have our mind renewed constantly. To me, this is one of the great texts in all the Bible when he pleads with them that to, to present their bodies a living sacrifice. And he says, don't be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Well, what renews my mind? What resets my rudder? What, what gives me what I need to know? What helps me to, to be established in the way to live? It's God's Word. It is your lifeline. It is the thing that encourages you and helps you and focuses you. It, it directs your steps. It is what you need. I was reading in a little book recently the, uh, the coma method of reading the Bible. I thought, well, that's, that doesn't sound good, coma. But it's a, it's a little acrostic. Coma. First, when you're reading something, what's the context? What's the context? Who wrote this? When did they write it? Who were they writing to? What were, the, what were the circumstances around this? What was the date? What was happening in the world? Context. Second thing, observation. Underline, mark, circle, read this, make a note. What are you observing about this text? Who's talking to who? What, what's speaking to you? M is for meaning. What does it mean? What does it mean? I get kind of tickled sometimes and small group Bible studies, well, what it means to me is, and they'll just make something up. <laughs> well, it has one meaning, <laughs> because it meant one thing when the author wrote it. <clears throat> and that has to be established. What is the context? Observing what is being said. What is the meaning? Now, from the meaning, there are many applications. One meaning, many applications. And this is part of how we grow in, in reading God's Word, is how does this apply to my life? Can I, can I see ways that this Scripture, it just hits me, it challenges me, it moves me. And that's what God's Word is intended to do. And I find this, that that habit of being in God's Word is, is, is probably the most recognizable thing when we talk about how does a Christian grow, you've got to be in the Word, but all these others have to be as well. It's all bringing you to relationship with the Word of God, with Jesus Christ, the living Word, and with His Father. Listening to it, reading it, studying it, meditating on it, following it is central to Christian growth. 
Number four, the necessity of commitment. The necessity of commitment. You cannot grow without making a commitment to grow. You cannot grow without making a commitment to grow. In, in verses uh, 1 and 2 of Romans 12, it says, I, I plead with you to present your bodies a living sacrifice. This is the, Paul's language to say, you make a decision to, and when he speaks about your body, he's really saying of your whole life, make a commitment to follow Christ. It's so easy for us to say, well, I know I should, I know I need to improve on that, I know someday I will. And you know what? It never happens. To me, to grow, if you really want to grow as a Christian, you're going to enter into spiritual warfare because everything in the world is going to resist that. There needs to be a commitment. Elijah said this, if you read in 1 Kings chapter 18, when Elijah is on the top of Mount Carmel and he's debating the prophets of Baal, and he talks to these people, and he, and he says, how long will you waver between two opinions? How long will you waver? He said, choose this day whom you'll serve. Choose this day. And, and I, I believe in order to grow, there needs to be a conscious decision. I'm going to grow. I'm going to be committed to, to this. I'm going to make a commitment to that. I kind of liken it to a relationship um, that you have. Um, in marriage. Now, why did I, why did I marry Diane? Well, I just, because I needed to be committed to someone, so I needed, I committed myself to her. It's all about commitment. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you the truth, I just flipped out over her, still do. Even when she comes out in the morning, I say, wow, I'm a fortunate guy. But the thing that I was thinking about when I was dating her was not, well, just need to be committed, just need to be committed. I wasn't thinking about that. I was thinking, man, I really love her. I want to be with her my whole life. But part of that marriage ceremony was not just telling her I loved her, it was committing for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. That's a commitment. And there are times where you may not feel like being married. (laughs) Say, you know what? And there are a lot of days you don't feel like doing a lot of things. Like getting up in the morning, or like going to work. But you do do certain things because you know that's what you're committed to do. And it's no different. I believe that the most er important earthly relationship in marriage is really a, a mirror of our relationship to God because Because what what Paul is saying here is you present your bodies a living sacrifice. You are committed to him. You declare him. Do you know why baptism was such a big deal in the early church? Because a lot of people say, oh, I believe, I believe, I believe. But baptism was, and baptism doesn't save you, but baptism was a public, and it is the public declaration that you're a Christ follower. It's not an easy thing to do. In in many parts of the world, that's when persecution begins. It's not when someone says, oh, I believe in Jesus. It's when they're baptized because they're they're taking a uh, physical expression of identifying with Christ. They're making a public statement. So I would say this, that whether it's a marriage relationship or your calling in life or what you know God wants you to do, 
You can't ride your life on feelings. And you're not, you're not going to be able to grow if you say, well, you know what? I don't really feel like reading my Bible this morning. I don't feel like praying. You know what? If, if you follow that, it's probably it's not going to happen. There have been times where I haven't felt like preaching. Now, this morning wasn't one of those times, just so you know. I, most time I love it, but you know what, what? What do I do when I say, I don't feel like that today? It is so core to your spiritual growth to have that steady resolve. Now, does that mean that you're never going to miss time with God or you're, you're never going to? No, you're going you're gonna to falter all along the way. But when I stumble and fall down, I get back up and I dust off my jeans and I say, I'm back on track. I'm committed to this. I'm committed to grow all the way through to grow in my faith. You cannot grow without making a commitment to grow, a decision to grow. Number five, I've got three more here. The necessity of discipline. Isn't, isn't it interesting? Discipline comes from the same word disciple. And Jesus said to his disciples in, in John 3, you know, he's talking about you must be born again, point in time. But then in John 8, he says, if you continue in my word, in other words, if you remain steadfast, continue in my word, then you are my disciples. And you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So what is a disciple? It's one who follows the teaching. One who follows it. It, it, it is a discipline. Now, we've got to be really careful. Because you can be super disciplined and not be growing. You can have a lot of knowledge and not be growing. And I see people do that. You know what? They've got their routine. They get up. They turn the coffee pot on. They go down there. They read 20 chapters of the Bible. They memorize their verses. They go on their way. They've not changed. (laughs) When you open this book, God's not interested in just informing you. He's interested in transforming you. He wants to change you. He wants to change you. And growth is when God's Word has that impact upon my life and is constantly changing me. There, there is a, a discipline that helps me come to know Him. And by the steady and consistent time in His Word, in prayer, the time with Him, I grow not in just habit, but I grow in relationship. And that's what God's interested in. The discipline of, of asking What's the best time for me to read my Bible? Now, if you're like me, if I, if I try to read my Bible when I'm going to bed at night, well, Diane will tell you, I put my head on the pillow, I'm gone, I'm done. And uh, it'd be really hard for me to do that. Uh, you say, are you a morning person? Well, not necessarily that either, but <laughs> some say, I'm not a night person or a morning person, I just need my sleep. But for every one of us, if I were to ask you, what's the best time? What's the best time of the day for you to do this? And I'd give God your best time. When you're alert, you can think, you're undistracted. What's the best place? Where can you go? I don't know. We've got 10 kids. <laughs> I've got relatives staying with me. There's no place I can go. Find a place that's quiet. And if you can develop the discipline of, of the time and the place and, and some measure of discipline of what you're working through, and uh, it, it, say, I make a, a commitment. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read my Bible every morning. Have you ever missed any days? Absolutely, I've missed some days. But you're a pastor. You shouldn't miss any days. I don't know. I don't know. 
But I'm human too, just like you. Forget to pray, forget to get in the Word. Sometimes I'll, I'll go through all of that, don't remember a thing I read. You ever do that? I think, oh, what did I just read about? But I did, I did it. The discipline in and of itself is not causing you to grow, but, but you cannot grow without discipline. Discipline is essential. The best time, the best place to organize uh, some, some sort of goals to be able to, to, of reading that will be helpful to you, to, to take notes, to journal, and stick with it. To me, to me, the key of growth is not quitting. You continue to grow through all the ups and downs, all the failures. You say, well, I've never, I've never completed any of this. But you've continued on, and you have grown. You cannot grow without discipline, and discipline helps build the relationship and enjoy that relationship. Number six, and I know you're going to love this one, the necessity of trials. Now, this is, this is not something you go out and try to find. Um, just so you know, in case any of you get overly ambitious, I, okay, I need a trial today. I need a test. <laughs> um, so this isn't, the, you don't put this on your to-do list, but you recognize this, you will not grow without testing. This, this one was harder for me to, to grasp in my life because I just figured if I do everything right, I'm walking with God, reading my Bible, praying, trying to obey God, that, man, life's just going to be easier. But you find that this, that testing will come your way. It may come in the form of temptation. It may, may come in the form of a health situation or something catastrophic or loss of a loved one, but but every single day trials come. Nothing will touch your life that has not passed through God's good hand. Remember that. And God will bring every test, every trial, every difficulty because He is going to shape something in you and confirm something in you. It brings the reality of of the Word. So when I'm reading God's Word and I'm understanding, I really don't get that that depth of understanding until it really gets tested. I said this before with, with children. Uh, faith, faith that is not tested is really no faith at all. Your faith is going to get tested. Every one of us could say, God is good. I know we had this little saying, kind of goes around, God is good all the time. God is good all the time. I love to tell other people that. God is good all the time. Someone says that to you when you just went through something, you want to punch them. Now, you know it's true. It doesn't feel true. You know God is good all the time. You know that intellectually. You're not feeling it. So when something happens that seems to be counter to that, you struggle with it. You wrestle with it. You've, you've got to come to terms with it. And, and while you wrestle through the truth that God is good and not feeling that God is good, God is going to move you into deeper relationship with Him. And you, become, you come to understand Him ways that you didn't before. It's been my experience that every significant time of growth in my life has been preceded by some kind of test. I'd love to say that, you know, I read this book and, man, I just grew. <laughs> or I, I listened to this sermon and, wow, I just grew. No, I went through this valley 
You know, like what David described, the valley of the shadow of I went through this hardship, this difficulty, this pain, this disappointment, this frustration. And there's where God would be causing me to grow. We will not grow without trials and rightly responding to them. So it's hard, but we thank God for the test, for the trial, and we look for what He's teaching us. And finally, the necessity of community. I talked about this last week. This has probably been the last one for me to try to get my head around in my, in my, my Christian journey because I'm a pretty independent person. Um, <clears throat> I figure, you know, tell me what I need to do and grow in Christ, and, I, and I'll kind of go do my thing over here. I'll read my Bible, pray. I'll do all these things over here and work with God, but I don't need, I don't need everybody else. But the way God designed <clears throat> the church is to need each other. If you'll notice in Acts chapter 2, when he, when he talks about what, what is really characteristic about this, it says uh, in verse 43, it says, Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed. And it says, Now all the believers were together, held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed proceeds to all as they had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and house to house. So these people were meeting every day. They met in the temple. That was the public, the public setting where unbelievers were there too, and there was the preaching of God's word in the public setting. But they also met house to house. And this is what I call the, the design of the church is small groups. For example, when, when we have, and this is, we have a pretty small church, I mean, you say, let's say we have 120 people come on Sunday. Um, we're going to worship together. We're going to talk to a few people. We're going to hear God's word, maybe visit with someone. But when you're, when you're in a, sitting in someone's home at the kitchen table and you're sharing a meal or something together, there's like three or four of you, you have a lot more open conversation, don't you? And when, there, when trust is built, you're able to share your your innermost struggles, your feelings, your heartaches, difficulties. You're also to have dialogue, conversation about what does this verse mean? Now, if you do, now you could do this on Sunday morning and raise your hand. I've got a question about what you just said. <laughs> You're probably not going to do that. But in a smaller group, you would. This is how they were growing. They were growing as they interacted over the Word. This last Thursday night, I was sitting on my back porch with a couple other guys. And I, and I told them, I said, of all the things in ministry that I love to do, and I, and I love preaching God's Word. To me, it's a great privilege to preach God's Word. A lot of things of ministry I love to do. What I love to do more than anything is sit, sit down with two or three guys or another guy. Let's talk about life. I love that because I see God's Word at work. And so, so we didn't have an agenda like we're going through Romans. There's a place for that. I, I love studying like we're going to go through this. We just said, what's going on in your life right now? What's happening? How, how do we respond to that? What does the Bible teach about that? And the time was encouragement. The time was talking through things, wrestling through things, praying for us, supporting each other, and growth taking place. I believe that is absolutely essential. It's been probably the hardest one of all these for me to do because 
typically today, we're, we're all a little bit independent, and we're not really wanting to open up to everyone, and so we don't do that. That's why we have emphasized so much our small groups. Women's Bible study, men's Bible study, small groups, men's retreat, times where you can get away with one person, two people, three people, sit down and talk about life, intersecting the Word, praying together, and God begins to change your life. And I believe this, that so much of my my life has been affected by those that are speaking into it. So here's a question as we wrap this up. Right now, do you see yourself really growing? Are you growing? Or or would you say, you know what, I've kind of stagnated. I've just plateaued. I've really not been growing. Maybe there's something missing. It could be that you're not... You've never really put your faith and trust in Christ. It could be that prayer is not a part of your life or the word or commitment or discipline or you've not responded well to the trials God has brought to you or that you have kept yourself away from community with relationship. I believe this with all my heart. It's God's will for me to grow. God is not satisfied with where you know, wherever this, the continuum of my life, from when I became a Christian to the time I stand before him, somewhere I'm here somewhere. Maybe not right here, maybe here somewhere, okay? God wants me to change. He wants your pastor to change. I hope I'm not the same person next year that I, that I am this year because he wants to constantly make me more like Jesus Christ. And to be honest with you, when I look in the mirror, I'm not much, I feel like I'm not much like Jesus I've got a long ways to go. He wants to do that with every one of us. And he, and he wants to do that with us collectively. That, that Valley be a church that is growing. We are a growing church. Our lives are changing. And you notice something about the part when it says uh, in Acts 2, at the very end, he described all the things going on, and it says, every day the Lord added to their number. So there you have the quantity. He added to their number. It says 3,000 people. If we are a healthy church, we will grow. And we'll grow the way God wants us to grow. He'll take care of that. If we're healthy believers, we will reproduce. And that's what we pray that God will do for each of us. You know, my prayer is for my own life and for this church that God look down and see us engaged in growth and, 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 and changing and maturing to be more like Him. Let's bow together as we pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for Your working in our lives and hearts and giving us the things that will work to change us. And I pray that for each of us, we would have a passion, a desire to grow in our faith, to be changed into the likeness of Christ, that we would be a visible representation to this world of what you're like. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.